Well, good morning again. I want to wish you all a happy Father's Day. And uh, if you're uh, a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, a father-in-law, a father, uh, a stepfather, a father of an adopted child, uh, if you know how to spell the word father, no, not, not that one, that's a little too far. If you're any kind of a father, would you just stand where you're at, please? Come on, I know you're there. Don't be shy. All right, stay standing for a minute. Gentlemen, we have a gift for you before you leave today, a little booklet uh, called Justice, Kindness, Humility. It's a guy thing, and you can get that in the Connection Center. Actually, somebody might be passing them out at the door, but be sure you pick this up uh, before you leave today. That's our uh, gift to you, and I want you to just uh, think about standing here for a minute uh, because uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the gospel-centered man today, and um, I want you in your mind later today to stand and just feel what that's like for just a second. Just kind of take it in to stand, uh, because I think that's what our culture needs. But thank you guys. Appreciate it. You may be seated. I want to bring a couple of things to your attention before I get into uh, uh, preaching this morning. Uh, first of all, you all did a great job with the textathon uh, Friday night. We had a great time. We had uh, two and a half hours of entertainment here while we were all texting our friends and asking them to donate to the Parkville Women's Clinic. And we were able to raise in that two and a half hours a little over $3,000. Uh, so thank you all for your participation. By the way, if you missed that, we got some really talented and really funny people in our church. You better come next year if we do something like this. And then also, I wanted uh, uh, James Fottenberry to come here and uh, tell us about uh, Upward Sports. Uh, but, before, you know, as he's coming, I want you to know and remember, I'm going to say this probably about 100 times because uh, I just think it's necessary. Uh, but Upward Sports is not a sports ministry. We don't do sports ministry here at Fellowship of Grace. This is an evangelism strategy. This is intentionally a way for us to get into the lives of people in our community that are far from God who will let their children come and play basketball or cheerlead or whatever. And so uh, this is not a sports ministry. Now, now, if your kids learn how to dribble better, great. That's not a problem. Glad they're doing that. But this is specifically a ministry for us to connect with people that don't know Jesus yet. And so that's what we do. It's a big, probably the largest ministry that our church uh, has to do this. And so this is kind of an all-hands-on-deck ministry. So James, tell us how uh, people can get involved. Thanks, Pastor Michael. Yeah, I'm James Fondmere. I'm the upward director here. I'm the crazy guy that gets to run around and play with your kids for, for a couple weeks. Um, in your bulletins, there is a handout. And on the front of that handout, there are opportunities available for you to plug, to get plugged in and to serve. And the one I want to draw your attention to at the top is prayer partner. Um, when we said basketball, you're like, I don't know how to dribble. I don't even know what basketball is. Don't stress out. Prayer is the key to this ministry. It has to be our foundation. If we're not praying over it, if we're not praying over the families that are coming, it's just not going to work. So you can, you can begin to partner with us in that. And if you're interested in doing that, which I'd hope the whole church would sign up for that, if you would see Mike Ellis, he is our prayer commissioner. I'm super excited about some things that, we're go- that are going on. Also, too, um, it really is all hands on deck. So if you turn over on the back, there are some important dates for you. Coming up uh, this, at the end of this month is uh, Parkville July 4th celebration. We will have a booth out at English Landing. If you're interested in being a part of that and serving at that booth, come see me. Let's get you signed up so that you can serve there. Um, we have a basketball camp, camp coming up in July. Um, that's exciting and fun. Also, you can see in August that we have four evaluation days. That's double from what we had last year. So that's awesome. Super excited about that. Then probably the event 
um, besides the season that I am jazzed about is our upward draft party. And so if you've ever watched the NBA on television, the draft that college students go to to go to the NBA, that's what we're doing for the kids this year at that level. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be off the hook. So come be a part of that. Come see me. Um, I'll get you pointed to commissioners if you want to coach, if you want to rest free, whatever you want to do, just come talk to me. We've got a place for you. Thanks. Thank you, James. And by the way, for all of you over 50, off the hook is a good thing. Okay? Just want you to know that. Uh, Hey, listen, guys, James is exactly right about this. Even if you are listening on on, uh, our website and you are homebound, uh, you can still pray. And so there's no reason that every single person who's a member of Fellowship of Grace cannot participate in this ministry in some way. And so folks do that. Hey, hey listen, instead of having a big mob around Mike after the service, if you take that connection card and at the bottom on the back where it has comments, if you just put your information on the front and then down there where it has comments, if you would just put upward prayer and then drop that in the basket there by the sound booth before you leave, that way he can contact you, get you into that team, and you don't all have to like run after him and figure out who Mike Ellis is, okay? Uh, that's a great way to do that. So, you know, I was thinking about, um, uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention is, um, uh, as some of you know, we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, we planted a church uh, three years ago uh, uh, called Legacy Church out of our church. And um, we have been talking to them about the potential or possibility of becoming uh, literally a campus of Fellowship of Grace. And so uh, they are here in our church today. If you're from Legacy Church, would you stand? I know you weren't going to, didn't supposed to. All right. Glad you all are here. And just so you know, just so you know, there's no problem in their church that they're sitting on the two opposite sides. That's just where we had chairs left, okay? So don't worry about that. We're talking with them about how we can help them. Uh, Folks, uh, every church in the Northland should be about growing the kingdom of God. And we are just trying to strategize and figure out the best way to do that. And so pray for us that we will have wisdom to do that as we uh, just uh, seek God's direction for the future. Well, it's Father's Day. A little boy was asked one time if he knew what Father's Day was. He said, uh, well, I, I know it's a lot like Mother's Day, except you don't have to spend as much on the gift, right? Uh, there's probably a little truth to that, um, but it's, it's really a big day, and it's a big day for me because I think it's important as we see our culture and we see the world that we live in, uh, I think it's interesting and important, guys, for us to think about uh, who we are. Now, before all of the ladies in the room turn us off, uh, or the men who are not married turn us off. Let me just uh, just make mention of a couple things. This applies to everybody today, okay? If you're a man with, wife, uh, with a wife and kids, I almost said wives, wow, that would have been bad. Uh, if you are a man with a wife and kids, this applies to you because this is who you should be. Uh, if you aren't yet married or, or, or you've got kids from a divorce situation, whatever it is, guys, this is something that applies to you. Uh, because we want to be the men uh, God wants us to be anyway. Women, if you have a husband, you need to hear this so that you know how to encourage and, and help and, and, and be a helpmate to your husband. And then if you're here as a single woman, you need to pay real close attention. Because this is what you need to think about before you say, I do. And if you find a man who's uh, hunky-dory, sweet-looking, and he's a nice guy, but he doesn't, he doesn't stand up to this test, you need to keep moving right along. Okay, so don't tune me out, don't turn me off, uh, just listen carefully, and I think it's important to see these principles from God's word. Gentlemen, I want to challenge us today to be gospel-centered men, and I want to start with this. First, we have to find your identity in being a child of the only perfect father. 
Take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. It says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this particular passage is talking about giving of gifts and those kind of things, but I want to point out a couple of things in this verse that are really important. Uh, first of all, guys, as we think about our fathers, uh, in this room, uh, none of us had perfect fathers. In fact, there's enough people in this room that there's probably a pretty wide range. Some of us probably had very involved fathers who did their very best to do everything for us, clear to the other extreme of absentee fathers, maybe a father you've never met, maybe a father who chose purposely not to be in your life, and there's a thousand variations in between. So we've had all kinds of of models for us. We've had all kinds of experiences with our own father. But there is only one perfect father who fathers perfectly, and that's God the Father. Listen, if we want to reach our potential, what God created us to be as men, we must look to and be filled and energized by the only perfect father. We need to look to his model in the Bible. We need to see how God has dealt with his children. We need to rely on the leading of his spirit in us, which, by the way, can only, uh, we can only experience that inside a relationship with him. The only way that you can ever get connected to the perfect father and ever have his help to make you a better father is to give your life to him. In this passage, we saw that it said, if we, being evil fathers, now what that means is in comparison to God's holiness, the perfect father, okay, God's holiness is is perfection. It's way up here. And we might uh, try to attain to it. We might try to ascend to that. We'll never perfectly get there. But folks, we've got to, guys, we've got to really look to God as that example. And the only way we can get connected to him is if we give our lives to him. Realize that we are a sinner indeed. Realize that we can't do anything about that sin ourselves. Realize that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Understand that only by faith can we accept his grace for us. And by putting our faith and trust in him, we can get connected to him in a relationship. He sends his spirit to indwell us, to lead us and speak to our hearts, to help us to understand his word correctly and interpret it correctly. Folks, the only possible way that you can really be a great father is to find your identity in being a child of him. If we don't find our masculine identity in him, guess what? We're going to find it somewhere else, and it's going to be a much less perfect model. Now, if our relationship with God is in order, we have a fighting chance to accomplish the rest of what we're going to talk about today. But I want you to know, if you're here today and you have not given your life to Jesus yet, you have absolutely zero chance of accomplishing the rest of the things we're going to talk about until you give your life to Jesus. And by the way, you can do that today. By faith, you can just put your trust in him. You can pray right there where you're seated. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I I know that I can't do anything about that myself. I can't overcome it. And so I trust in what you did with your son on the cross to pay for my sins. I accept that as the gift, and I give my life to you. Folks, by doing that, 
you get connected to the perfect father. And now we have a fighting chance to do the rest of it. And let's start with this. Love your wife. Now that might sound simple, but I can tell you from experience it's very complicated. <laughs> Look what it says in Colossians 3.19. Oh, by the way, not from her part, my, my part. <laughs> See, you all know Julie, and you're like, what? It should be a breeze for you to love your wife. Well, yeah, it's just, it's me, okay? And it's not her, it's me. I feel like I'm on a Seinfeld episode. It's not her, it's me. Okay, Colossians 3.19, look what it says. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There are two specific commands from God there. Love your wife, do not be harsh with her. Now guys, in a room this size with this many men, even though most of us probably call ourselves Christians. The reality is, there are some of you in this room who have a real hard time with your temper. You can be really short with your wife. You can maybe degrade her, put her down, call her names. And guys, that has to stop today. There is no excuse for anybody who calls themselves a Christian to treat their wife that way. And if you say, well, Michael, you can't talk to me that way. I'll get mad and leave this church. Get mad and leave. Folks, that just can't happen. That just cannot happen. Listen, I'm not a perfect husband. I don't do everything right. But I can't think of a single time I've gotten so angry that I would say something mean and vile to my wife. By the way, the opposite of this verse is true. Don't just not be uh, harsh with your wife, but be kind. Be sweet to her. Be kind-hearted and gentle towards her. Now listen, I know that everybody in this room has got a, a romance scale, and some of us are a little more romantic than others, and you're like, I don't know how to do all that gushy, mushy stuff. Okay, you can still be kind. You can still, still talk in a kind manner. Fact is, some of you talk to strangers better than you do your wife. And you need to stop that today. Look what it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing them honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, don't get all, ladies, don't get all caught up in that weak thing. Okay, don't get caught up in that. So it's talking about a physical sense, and just, just get over that. Let's talk about the rest of the verse, okay? It says, treat your wife in an understanding way, showing her honor. That means giving her preference. That means lifting her up, treating her like the queen that she is. And God even says why to do that in this passage. Why? Because they're heirs with us. We have the same father. If your wife claims to be a Christian and you're a Christian, we have the same father, which means we're siblings in the kingdom of God. Who in the world are we to treat one of God's children harshly, rudely? And then he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why, why does he want us to treat our wives well? So it doesn't shortchange our spiritual lives. 
The reality is, if we treat our wives badly, it, short, it, 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 it creates this short-changed thing that happens between us and God. We can't really relate to him like we should if we don't treat his other children like we should. You know, the other reason is we want to model for our children the relationship that they should desire with their future spouses. Guys, our kids are watching us. You know, if, listen, if you've been a parent more than about six weeks, you know that your kids are watching you and they're, they're going to do what you do. We want our sons to learn to love their wives, and the best way we can teach that is to show it to them in our marriage. So that when they start looking for a woman, they'll look for a woman like their mom, and they'll treat her the way that you and I treat our wives. The best chance that we have to give them a great marriage is to model it for them. And guys, frankly, we want our daughters to have a difficult time finding a man that can stand up to the role models we've provided and that's, man, that's, that is challenging. That is challenging. But we should, we should, in a sense, curse our daughters to walk the face of the earth to find a man that is as good as their daddy because they've seen how you treated your wife. Listen, the greatest thing we can do to love our children is to love their mother. There's no doubt about that. So guys, we have got to love our wives. And, and it's the greatest thing we can do for our children. And by the way, number two and number three are in order for a reason. We want to love our wives first because we live in a culture that turns everything upside down. I've heard Christian people say, I live for my children. Everything I do is for my kids. My kids come first. Folks, if you say those things, I want you to take them out of your vocabulary. Okay? They're not biblical. They're not biblical. I know you're going, oh, oh, being all theological. I mean, okay, God's first. Okay, okay, set that aside for just a minute. Let's just be practical. In amongst ourselves, our spouse should be first. Our kids should be next. Now, it doesn't mean I don't love my children dearly. I'd do anything for them that I thought would benefit them. <laughs> but it's important that they understand that to their mother, their father is more important, and to their father, their mother is most important. That's, why, that's why, how we can teach them how to have a good marriage. We, I know Julie didn't like it when I did this, but I, I made, you know, made sure occasionally that our kids knew that this was our house and we let them live there. I mean, you know, we're just being kind to you. This is not your permanent home. We're, we're being kind and sweet to you to let you live here till you get grown. Then off you go. Now, that was a little bit of a joke, but not that much. Here's why, guys. Here's why it can't be a joke. You know that there's an incredible spike in divorces amongst Christian people as soon as their children leave their home? Because what happens is the Christian people, they, they want to do the right things. They're loving their kids. Or they're, they're invested in their kids so much, so much, so much. The last kid moves off and goes to college, and they look to their spouse and go, who in the world are you? You're a stranger to me. I don't even know you. Guys, we can't let that happen. Okay? So we love our spouse first, and then you love your children by providing measured discipline. It's interesting. The Bible doesn't ever say to love your children by watching TV with them or coaching their ball teams or attending all of their dance recitals or working two extra jobs so that you can provide them all the extras or take them to Disney World or any of that stuff that we spend so much time doing. 
the Bible connects one activity to the act of a father loving their children. Look at Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, it's important we understand clearly what that word discipline means. But in this verse, it's saying, listen, guys, discipline is equivalent to love. It's equivalent to love. If you don't discipline your children when they need it, you hate them. That's not me talking. That's God talking. He says you hate them. And by the way, that's not a feeling. Well, I don't feel any hate for me. That means in your behavior, the way that you're acting towards them, you're acting in a hateful way towards them if you don't provide them with discipline. But if you are diligent in your discipline, you love them. And I know all of you who have two and three-year-olds right now are going, are you crazy? There's no way you can be diligent in that. I tell them to stop doing this, they start doing this. I tell them to stop doing this, they start doing this. I would be yelling at them all day long. Yeah, that's diligence. If you only have to do it once every month, it's not diligence. Right? Guys, I, I have been there. I have had children, two and three. I've had grandchildren in those age groups. Still do. I understand what it's like. I hate having to be on them all the time. But the Bible says, if I don't discipline them, I hate them. I love my grandchildren. I love them. And I love them. And I hate disciplining them. But I know what this verse says, and I do it, not gladly, but I do it obediently because I love them. By the way, this is godly discipline. This is not punishment. And there is a huge difference. Punishment is, you did this, now I'm mad at you, and I'm going to give it to you. That's punishment. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't even promote that or even have any view that it's acceptable. uh, Punishment is wrong. Discipline is correct. Because discipline says, you did something wrong. Now I'm going to do something to modify your behavior so that you understand you can't continue to do this. That's helpful to them. That's helpful to them. And why do we do that, guys? Well, in fact, I would encourage you to have two rules. Teach your children to be quick to hear and quick to obey. That kind of covers everything. When I tell you something, I want you to hear it quickly, and I want you to do it quickly. Now, as they get older, we can negotiate. Oh, yeah, can I watch the end of my show? Yeah, I'll watch the end of your show. Then you go do it, okay? But those two things, why do we want them to do that? Why is that so important? Why is it important that we don't count? By the way, I, I just really, in this, when I'm in the store, and, and I'm, by the way, if I've seen you do this, I apologize. I'm not picking you out. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. But when I'm in the store and I see parents, Johnny, put that down, one, two, Two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, two and fifteen sixteenths, two and <laughs> thirty-one thirty seconds. Okay, I, I know that they're embarrassed to have to discipline their children in, in a store, but you know what they're teaching their children? When you open, as an adult, when you open God's Word and He tells you to do something, you just go, "Okay, God, one, two, two and a half. I'll do it when I'm getting good and ready." Guys, we want to teach our children while they're small to be quick to hear and quick to obey so that when they open God's word and God says, do this, they go, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. That's what we want to teach them. That's why we want to help them understand this. Okay? But it's important that you understand 
Guys, if we don't discipline our children in love, the Bible says we hate them. By the way, look what it says in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do we not anger our children and still discipline them? I have never known a child who was so great and wonderful that they said, oh, thank you for that spanking, Daddy. Please, may I have another? I've never seen that. I've never heard of that. Okay? What it's saying here is, listen, when you discipline and instruct your children inside the bounds of a loving relationship, they respond to it. If you don't have a relationship with your children, if you don't have a loving, connected relationship with them, and then you try to discipline them, you're going to drive them away. They're going to become angry and bitter and rebel against you. And probably as adults, they'll have very little to do with you. Now, I never would have thought, I'm going to quote Michael Jackson in church, but I'm going to. Because I found this quote. When Michael Jackson, when the Jackson 5 started, he was five years old. And they started their first rehearsal. And something happened in the first few bars of the music, and he kind of stopped and quit going. And, and he said something to his dad, and his dad responded to him, Michael, I am no longer your father. I am your manager. You do what I say. Now, almost 30 years later, 25 years later, he was speaking at Oxford. Now, why they asked Michael Jackson to speak at Oxford, I have no idea. But as he was speaking, this is what he, this is what he said. This is a quote from him. He said, I just wanted a dad that loved me. I just wanted him to say one time, Michael, I love you. He said he never heard it. Guys, I understand that not not all of us are wired the same. I understand that some of us are in touch with our feelings a little more than others. I understand that for some of you in this room, it's very difficult if you came up from a home where they didn't say that and didn't do that. But you need to learn this week to look your wife in the eyes and say, I love you. You need to look at your children in the eyes and say, I love you deeply. You need to say that because your discipline has to take place within an environment where that's the feeling. That's, the, that's how it is. Okay? Now listen, not all children like discipline when it's coming down. I get that. But they grow up to understand it. And, and they, they kind of love it as adults. I remember when uh, my two oldest grandsons were like two and four. Mandra called me one day, my daughter, and she said, oh man, I get it. I get it now. I, all those times that I got in trouble and you spanked me and, you know, all that stuff, I get it totally. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. So guys, we've got to discipline our kids in a loving environment and we've got to provide that measured discipline to them. Next, we need to lead our families as a servant warrior. Is that one of those oxymorons like jumbo shrimp or true fiction? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think so. Listen, you can be a great servant to your family as a warrior providing security for them. Security for them financially, emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, every which way. Now, I do enough premarital counseling and marital counseling. One of the questions I always ask the man, I said, listen, if somebody uh, broke into your house to harm your wife and your children, what would you be willing to do? How far would you be willing to go? And that's one of those 
I don't know if you ladies experience this much. That's one of those like major macho times where all of a sudden I'd, I'd kill him. I'd kill him with my bare hands if I had to. If I couldn't get to my gun, I'd just pull his arms off and I'd kill him. If he came in to hurt my family, right, guys? That's, you know, we, that's kind of what we would do. And we think that way about the physical world. But guys, what are you willing to do when somebody's getting ready to hurt your daughter relationally? What are you willing to do when the world is going to hurt your wife spiritually? What are you willing to do when someone's going to hurt your son emotionally? Do you have that same resolve to protect them and to defend them and to fight for them? You better. You better. Because the chances of somebody breaking into your home and physically hurting your wife and children is pretty small. But the chance of somebody breaking into your home and hurting your wife and family, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, guys, there's a lot more chance of that. I guarantee it. We've got to picture ourselves standing on the front porch to defend our family against anything, in any way, shape, or form. We see the scriptures very clear about finances. In 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This verse says, If you don't provide financially for your family, you are worse than somebody who denies the existence of God. Now listen, I'm a liberated man, sort of. My wife works. She, she works three days a week. She cuts hair. You can tell it's very, she does a great job. And, and she's worked uh, pretty much the entire time that we have, uh, you know, been together. So this is not one of those male, macho, goofy, silliness things. Okay? This is simply the way that God has ordered the home. Men, if your wife is three times smarter than you and has a couple of degrees higher than you and she makes a lot more money than you, great, so be it. Cash the checks. I'm, you know, go for it. <laughs> but the moment you decide to put on an apron and become a stay-at-home dad, guys, you have turned your, you have turned your family upside down. I don't care what anybody says. There will come a time where your wife will no longer respect you your children will not respect you, and you'll be teaching your children an upside-down model. Now, guys, this is not from some old fogey who, you know, I wasn't even born in the 50s, okay? Don't put that on me. This is what God's saying. Guys, if you don't provide for your families, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you don't like that, talk to God. Don't talk to me. I didn't write this, okay? We got to manage our home well, too, guys. The relationships, the spiritual, the emotional health of your family is a prerequisite for anyone wanting to lead in the church. That's a requirement. In 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, it says this. It's one of the requirements for an elder. It says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to be an elder. I guess I don't have to do this. No, that's not what I'm saying, guys. These are character qualities. These are, char- these are character qualities every man should have. And you've got to have them if you're going to be an elder in the church. But, but this is clear that we need to manage our homes well, guys. 
And we can do that by being a, a, a leader of our homes that serves. Listen, when you look at the model of Jesus, we see when Jesus and the, the 12 disciples were roaming around, they had co- at least a couple of conversations and arguments about the, who the number two guy was, right? You remember that? In the, in the New Testament, it talks about them saying, well, who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? I'm more important than you. They had a big fight about it. Not once did they have a discussion about who number one was. They all knew who number one was. It was clear to everybody. But when it came time to serve, who was doing it? When it came time to unconditionally love the others, who did it? When it came time to feed and provide for the others, who was doing it? You see, guys, we really lead best by serving, by laying our lives down for our families. We do the best job of leading. The last thing I want to share with you today, and this is going to be hard, guys, but you need to hear it. I need to hear it. Be proactive, not inactive. Sometimes we think if we're not doing bad things, we must be doing okay, right? I'm not doing anything bad, so it must be okay. I want you to look at the situation when Adam and Eve first sinned. Pay careful attention as we read these scriptures uh, where Adam is at physically, like where he is at when this takes place. Look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Here's what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Where was Adam? Where was Adam when all of this was taking place? He was standing right there. And what did he do that was so wrong? Nothing. Nothing at all. That's what he did. While the serpent came in and lied to his wife, twice in fact, and conned her into taking the fruit and eating it and then offering it to him, what did he do? Absolutely nothing. He just stood there. Now listen, when we see a list like this, oh my goodness, love your wife unconditionally, love your children, give them great discipline, be this warrior servant to my family, this is a, this is a big list. We can kind of go, this is too much. I don't know if I can do all that. I know it's hard to do all these things. We have to. We have to, guys. Or somebody is going to break into our homes and take our wife and children away from us. We don't live in a culture anymore where they leave good Christian people alone. You know what your kids are being taught as teenagers? 
What are you going to do, dads, when your, your 15-year-old daughter comes home and says, Hey, dad, uh, while I was in the locker room today changing, uh, some guy who thinks he's a girl came in and changed next to me. What are you going to do? Do you know what your third and fourth graders are being taught in their textbooks? About 25 years ago, Al Gore made a movie about global warming. And every single prediction that he made in that movie has not come true. Every single one. And it's in your textbooks of third and fourth and fifth graders as scientific fact. That's what your kids are being taught. Do you know what your kids are being taught? Are you paying attention? Guys, we can't do nothing. We cannot do nothing or we are going to lose our families to the culture. We have to be men that are centered on the gospel. We need to worry a whole lot more if God is happy rather than whether our wife and our children are happy. Listen, children aren't happy when they get disciplined. Live with it. Some wives aren't very happy when they aren't leading their own home. Even though they're truly wired to let a loving servant warrior lead, the problem is they probably have never seen one. Guys, the path of least resistance is rarely the right path when it comes to loving our wives and raising our children, and yet it's always the easiest path. We can't take that, guys. If we're going to be men of God, men of action... We cannot stand there and idly watch while our wives and children are lured away by the world. We must fight for them as warriors while providing a loving and serving environment to them. Guys, we are losing. Look, look what's on television. Look what, I mean, you know, I never thought that I would be my father and my grandfather. But I see what's happening. And, and the things, I mean, can you imagine? I wish I, I wish my grandparents were alive. Because even in two generations, if I were to sit down as a, a 15-year-old boy at my grandparents' house and say, hey, Grandma and Grandpa, do you know there's going to come a time uh, when they allow boys and girls to use whichever restroom they want because they feel like that's what they are today? My grandparents would have said, Michael, you're crazy. That's silliness. That, that, that cannot happen. That might happen in 200 years, but that can't happen in your lifetime. You're okay. Guys, it's happening fast. We have got to be men that stand up for what is right because of our relationship with God and because we love our wives and our children and we are not going to let the culture take them from us. Men, just like you stood up physically earlier today, in your mind, I want you to say, I'm standing up right now. I am standing up right now and saying, God, help me. God, help me to be the kind of man you created me to be so that I can stand up for my wife and my children. And guys, by the way, the church is made up of a family of families. Fellowship of Grace is really just one big family of families. And our church will be like our families are. If we have a bunch of you know, mamby-pamby men that, that don't lead their homes, that don't stand up for their wife and their children... That's the kind of church we're going to have. I don't want to have a church like that. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where men are men and women are women and we do what God has asked us to do so that we can change the culture and have more effect on it than it has on us. So you come with me. 
you commit to come with me. Listen, I don't do this perfectly. I'll say it a thousand times. I am embarrassed and ashamed at the things that I do in my life sometimes. But I am committed to doing better. I am committed with God's help to be better and to be more like him. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to watch a video and you'll be dismissed. Guys, I hope you have a tremendous Father's Day. But I hope I've given you something to think about as you leave. Think about it. Think about it. Because I think some of you, five or ten years from now, this sermon will come back to your mind. And for some of you, I'm afraid that you'll think, man, I should have listened. Look what's happening now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that guide us and lead us. God, help us, help us, each one of us in this room, to be who you created us to be. Father, let the men stand up and be men. Let the women stand up and be women uh, who follow you, who love you, who give our lives to you. Father, help, help us as men to lay down our lives for our children, to pray for them, to, to love them, to do the hard work of discipline so that they will t- come to love you and follow you. God, we can't do it alone, but we know with your help we can. And so we put our lives in your hands and ask you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day, guys.